Hey everyone, we are kicking off a new month and we want to announce the winner for last month. The winner for March is Superfan RJ. Congratulations, RJ. You get to choose one of our films next year. Remember, if you want to participate in this contest, simply text or call your guests to the theme of the month to 971-245-4148 or send an email to christy at dodgemediaproductions.com Check out the show notes for this information and links to find this out. Throughout the month, you can guess as many times as you want, and the winner will receive a shout out on our episode like this, a shout out on social media, your name posted on our website with the number of times you've won for the year, and each month, one winner will get a video message from Mike and get to select a film for the podcast in 2024. In addition to that, every single person who submits a guess will get their name in a hat so if you guess 12 times you get 12 entries correct guesses that is at the end of the year every person who submits a correct guess will be entered to win a 100 amazon gift card so congratulations superfan jake and look out for our social media for the month of april a big clue will be there to help you decide what the theme for april is have a good day everybody You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 111, and it is kicking off our month of April So look forward to our social media on Facebook, Instagram, you're on LinkedIn. We're also on Twitter. And if you go to Google and type in our company name, I put the post there too. So there's a huge hint because this month is probably one of our hardest if you're just looking at the movies. So you're going to need to go to that. Most difficult to guess. To guess. Most, not most difficult to watch, hopefully. No, 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 no. Oh, thank you for making that correction. Also, I send out that. So if you want to get the biggest clue that we do in your email box, email me at christy at dodgemediaproductions.com and say, hey, I want to be on your newsletter list so that you get that in your inbox on the first of every month so you can beat everybody else. And the guesses are increasing. We got some good guesses in March. And after you do that, you can also send me petty fours and I'll give you a different clue. I'm bribable. No. (laughs) How are you going to mail petty fours? We just found out that we're big in Japan. They can mail it here. There's international mail. Wait, I thought you... Oh, you're saying if they send you petty for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I was... I accept bribes. Okay. I'm just always worried you're going to (laughs) overpromise. No, at this point... I'm promising that I will share information, which is free. I see. You are bribable. That's what we're getting down to. for sending me pastries. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it. Today, we are talking about the 1996 film Happy Gilmore. It is free right now with a subscription on Hulu as of um, March. The director is Dennis Dugan. He is also known for an Adam Sandler film from 1999, Big Daddy, and You Don't Miss with the Zohan so, of 2008. So he is Adam's guy. Yeah, they're buds. I think 
I, I want to say he's directed some other stuff too, maybe from Sandler, but he's part, I think, Sandler's posse. Yes, I tried to find, there was a couple other um, things, but those were the two movies I knew would be most recognizable. It was written by Tim Hurley, and he also wrote The Wedding Singer, The Wedding Singer, and Pixels. And it was also written by, a uh, co-written by Adam. I should also mention that Mr. Dugan has done some acting roles as well. I think you probably recognize him as a character actor. And he appears in Happy Gilmore. He does, yes. Mm -hmm. It should come as no surprise that Adam Sandler stars in this film alongside Christopher McDonald, Julie Bowen, Francis Bay as Grandma, Carl Weathers, Alan Covert, Rob Smigel, Bob Barker, Richard Keel, Dennis Dugan, Will Sasso, and Kevin Nealon. The DP for this film is Arthur Albert, and he also did a, one of your faves, Beverly Hills Ninja. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Saving Silverman. And this film was filmed in British Columbia, Canada. And of all the times I've ever watched this movie before, I didn't realize that it was set in Portland. At least part of it was, right? I mean, one of the tournaments. And I did want to mention that from a location perspective because I would say the producers, Portland is not that far away from Vancouver, British Columbia, and we're also a very film-friendly locale. Very film-friendly. And we have we do have actual big-name golf tournaments here, so they could have filmed that part here. They're and, already on this coast. And films were being done in 96, so it's not like it's, oh, well, it was before we were a big film, because we right. covered movies that yeah, were yeah, done in the yeah. 90s. So that, that may go down in the column of missed opportunity for the Adam Sandler crew. Big, 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 big. Big mistake. The synopsis for this film is a rejected hockey player puts his skills to golf to the golf course to save his grandmother's house. You know, in retrospect, like why had no one else seen that you could use your hockey slap shot on the golf course? That seems like a no brainer, but maybe that's just because of Happy Gilmore. We now know that. It's interesting that you say that because in doing some research, I found out that this is based on a true story. Adam, <gasps> Adam had a buddy. And he was a really good hockey player. I think like, you know, really good in high school, maybe even went on to play after high school. And they would go to the golf course and his friend could hit the golf ball so far. And he too was like, how come nobody thought of this? This is a great idea. Thus, yeah. he wrote Happy Gilmore. Right. So I, I, I have a buddy who was a very successful hockey player when he was younger, Norman. And I'm curious, I'll have to ask if he has... Uh, golf skills if it translated for him as well well you didn't you kind of flirt with hockey or were you just a viewer uh i, I played um floor hockey in in college but and, i was more of a viewer and then there was that one golf ball that you hit really 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 far right but you see when i played floor hockey i wasn't known for my slap shot i was known for my wrister so it's a slightly different kind of shot got it but way to work in there the the shame about that particular golf ball incident good work there champ <laughs> email, email me if you want the backstory <laughs> How dare you? Well, I don't want to leave him hanging. I do. They can, that can be a mystery. Okay. Uh, the tagline for this film is, he doesn't play golf, he destroys it. Mm, good tagline. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Enough of my nonsense. I do have some trivia. Let's get into it. What is the pickup line for Happy Gilmore? Now, this one is going to really rock people's minds about how accurate it is to my theory. Pickup line is, my name is Happy Gilmore. That's it, right there. Theory confirmed? I think so. The title of the film is in the first line. I think we're right on brand. Right. <laughs> now, 
we were talking about this this morning over breakfast. I feel like, and I could be wrong. So I would love listeners to write in and tell me if I'm right or wrong with this. But I feel like the zeitgeist loves to be mean to Adam. I'll just say for anybody listening with children. Yeah, I would agree. I, I likened it to um, Nickelback. I've never heard a Nickelback song. I have no opinion over Nickelback, but I hear lots of people using them as a butt of a joke. Right. People like to hate on Nickelback and Adam Sandler. And Adam Sandler. And I was saying this morning that what is the difference between Adam Sandler making, what was the film? Is it Grown Ups? Where they, I think it's Grown Ups where they go back to camp. Yeah. Kevin James, Chris yeah. Rock. What is the difference between him writing that film so that he and his buddies can go away in a cabin with their families and make a silly movie and Ocean's Eleven where George Clooney gets all of his buddies together so they can make a movie in Vegas? I think the only difference is Julie Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) So I just I don't know. I am going to be an unapologetic Adam Sandler fan now. There are definitely movies of his that I haven't even watched because they do look ridiculous. Well, it's it's hard to really defend Chuck and Larry or yeah, that one's um, a tough one for me. There's the one where he did the Tyler Perry thing and he dressed as a girl, Jack and Jill, I yes. think, which I haven't actually seen. So sorry, Mr. Sandler. I saw him interviewed doing press for a film once and he said people say that they stop making films when they've told all their stories. And so he was saying, I obviously haven't figured out how to tell the story I want to tell you because I keep making movies. But I, I think that's unfair. Um, it's self-deprecating humor, right? He's he's a comedian. His, his movies are, are, yeah, maybe they're a little silly or slapstick. But, but we like silly. <laughs> well, and, and if you look at Hidden Gems, I think you could yeah. say that he's a talented fellow. But what's wrong with, like you said, what's wrong with something that's lighthearted? Ocean's Eleven, I would argue, is probably a worse message than grown-ups because it's teaching you to rob people right mm-hmm. so you, you really i i think yes they're maybe not the highest brow or the most daring filmmaking in a sense but i i agree i don't see what the problem is mm-hmm. um may, may, maybe some people say it's like um cotton candy but okay that's fine I wonder if part of it was because i was just kind of curious where happy gilmore fell in his ooh, ooh, ooh. can i guess I think it's his second film. Is that right? Yes, it is. And so just kind of, I did a timeline and I wonder if it's because he was just very prolific. So Mm -hmm. we've got 95 was Billy Madison. He did Saturday Night Live from 90 to 95. Okay. Right after he left Saturday Night Live, now he does Happy Go More. The same year he does Bulletproof, or at least it comes out, right? Then there's a one-year break, but he was probably filming because then The Wedding Singer and The Waterboy come out in 98. Both films in the same year? mm -hmm. Wow, he he works quick. And then Big Daddy came out in 99, Little Nicky in 2000, and then Punch Drunk Love in 2002. So within the span of seven years, there were almost seven movies, eight, eight movies in seven years. So- I wonder if, is that why people, it was just overload? That could very well be. Yeah. yeah. You can get saturated with someone. Anyway, I just, my two cents, they're definitely hit and miss. I picked more of the ones that I liked. I think he started to maybe try, I didn't really like Little Nicky. I loved no. Big Daddy. Big Daddy was good. I, I think Happy Gilmore is my favorite Adam Sandler mm-hmm. film. It was the first Adam Sandler film I saw. Mm-hmm. But I, I think 
the ultimate plotline of this kind of lovable loser who meets the girl smoochie, and smoochie, ends smoochie. up with the girl and grandma gets her house back. But what's really wrong with that? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a very straightforward tale. I was thinking kind of a little bit of a little bit of fish out of water and a little bit of a redemption. Right. Yep. Yeah. For cinematography, the two notes I had is and I meant to try to look this up, but how did they do that golf ball shot at the very uh, yeah. beginning? And you brought up the point when we were watching it, and this is one of our pauses. In the world before drones, how did they do that shot? It was amazing. And I don't think for his second film, right after SNL, he would have the budget for CGI in 96 to do that shot. And it looked too low to be a helicopter. Right. It did, but there, that doesn't I, mean it wasn't. But I don't... Oh, did we have the technology like they use on the football field with the cables? Could they have stretched a cable? I, I think we had that technology, but I think that would be too far, would be my guess. I, I think it was either a helicopter or maybe like one of those, what's the like ultralight little planes with the, the hang glider part with the motor behind them or something like that. But I'd love to know. Maybe we could uh, have the cinematographer reach out to us and let us know how they did that shot. I will try to find out. And if I find out, it will be in the show notes because that is something I meant to um the other thing I noticed is there were a lot of overhead shots. And I wonder if that is because with golf, you're trying to capture the sense of space, right? Golf courses are probably less visually exciting from ground level than they are from above. But even when it wasn't golf, like sometimes mm. he was just looking up into the sky or, and so you're looking down at him looking up. I felt like there was another one, like maybe around the alligator or something anyway. And then I also noticed some Dutch angles. Which for the layperson, it's the camera kind of cants to, and then maybe that's not the right term. You should explain it. Well, the, the, if you think of the horizon as horizontal, it is tilted. It's sloped. Uh, for those of us of the right age, it's how they filmed every villain's hideout in the Batman TV show with Adam West. Love it. I'll also look up an explanation for a Dutch tilt. Yeah. A Dutch tilt. With the cinematography, one of the things, and this is maybe not strictly cinematography, more open titling, but they did home movies. The opening sequence looked like it was home movies of the era, so they were shot on Super 8. So they did the the saturated colors, the graininess, the one-by-one aspect ratio, and all of that, which I thought was interesting. Again, in 96, I assume they did that practically, maybe not necessarily with the Super 8 camera, but in camera as opposed to post. But I thought that was an interesting thing. And then I noticed three separate montages. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, it was a montage heavy film, which I like. Mm -hmm. So another reason maybe people, they respond was, is that too many montages for the average person? So did you make note? I, I wrote down that there was a golfing montage, obviously. I actually had... All three were golf related. The first was in his first golf tournament. Then there was a mini golfing montage. And then there was him golfing against Shooter in that last tournament. They had that as a montage. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Shooter, there were two other actors that went that auditioned for that role. One being Kevin Costner. And so I wonder where this falls with Tin Cup. Oh, yeah. Was this before Tin Cup or after? Or did this give him the idea he wanted to be a golfer? The other one was Bruce Campbell. Oh, wow. Which I thought. I don't think it would have been maybe as big. And so I was listening to Chris McDonald. And at first he didn't want to do this because I love this. 
he was playing a lot of dicks and he didn't want to play another dick. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's, yeah, it's a, it's a danger. You don't want to be typecast as yeah. a dick. So, but he talked to Adam and he was in and he said like the thing where he would shoot the ball. Nobody told him to do that. That wasn't in the script. He just, you know, the name Shooter McGavin. And so he would do that kind of like boasting motion at the end of a good shot. And and so he has people come up to him all the time, kind of, you know, quoting his own lines and doing that movement. So I thought that was funny. So a couple of fun parts about that. One, I'm such a moron that I didn't notice that until the latest viewing of this movie, which wasn't my You mean first. that he did that kind of shooter thing? Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. And it's right in the name. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, and I think we've mentioned that's a prefix podcast. At one point, I was doing a bunch of conference calls while driving and someone insisted that you register your name, which I thought didn't matter if I was just listening. So I would always give my name as Shooter McGavin. And they argued, that's not your legal name. And I said, yes, but you know who it is. So it serves its purpose. (laughs) It's the chucklehead in the conference Totally. This chucklehead. So how about we spoke a little bit about the story that it was a redemptive story and it was a fish out of water. What other things did you take note of in the writing of Happy Gilmore? So I have these under my writing section, but the first few things I'm going to say were, are probably more casting. I w- did want to mention that an actor named Richard Keel was in this. He's the very, very tall fellow. And he you might know him as Emil Muzz from the Dragnet movie with Aykroyd and Hanks. Or he was in a Bond film. And unfortunately, in this film, you could see he had a very hard time moving, whatever mm-hmm. the physicality of him being that tall. By this time, he had, had arthritis or something. But he lived not far from one of my elementary school chums mm-hmm. in the area. So that was a little brush with greatness. And when you're like seven feet tall, all the kids in the neighborhood know you, mm-hmm. right? Hard to hide. Mm-hmm. And I will also mention that... The girlfriend that breaks up with Happy early in the film, mm-hmm. uh, her name is Terry. She's played by an actress named Nancy Hillis, who is also in a film called You're Baking Me Crazy, which is a Hallmark movie about food trucks set in Portland. What a great idea to write a movie about food trucks set in Portland. Yeah, right? It's perfect. And my last little bit of, of casting is a little bit of fun trivia for the people who are following along at home. Famed golf commentator Vern Lundquist plays himself. And I happen to have uh, another uh, boyhood chum whose family name was Lindquist, not Lundquist. So I would call him Vern as an allusion to Vern Lundquist. And I, I suspect he didn't take too kindly to it because he called me Merv for Merv Griffin because he said my hair looked like Merv Griffin's hair, which if you're a 14-year-old boy is not exactly the look you're going for. So so tip of the cap to uh, Vern out there. This is Merv giving you a little high <laughs> sign. So uh, there's a great line in here, and I, I think Sandler's probably responsible for this, but I, I, I love the line. He says, he got a few lucky punches in there, but I still feel like I won the fight. <laughs> and that sounds like every hockey player I've ever met, right? right. I, I think I still won the fight. It was interesting in this day and age to have an alligator. And uh, so my note was no alligators were harmed in the making of this film, but one came pretty damn close. <laughs> and I did want to ask from a movie making perspective, if you thought in 96, because this was you know, a number of years ago, almost a quarter century, gosh, we're old, is how did they cast for the short-statured fellow who rode a tricycle through the film? 
I just thought that was an interesting visual, and I'm curious if we made this movie today, would we would we do the same same thing for that gag? I am not remembering that part of the movie. <laughs> it's a, it's his dream sequence. So Julie Bowen is in the laundry drinking beer, at, like they said, go to your happy place, and, and then and so then his grandma is playing like the slot machine and winning money, and then they end on this very short statured fellow in a cowboy outfit riding a tricycle, which is bizarre. Okay. Now, are you using that as a euphemism for a little person? Uh, yeah, I was just okay. trying to describe his, Okay. not not ca- uh, assuming his genetics. Right. Let's say for say, the sake of this discussion that he is a little person. Correct. Okay. I think definitely people would be more mindful. The way that you describe it in my vague memory of that, I don't remember him being the butt of the joke. I mean, he's in there obviously for comedy, so that's where we get a little squeamish, right? Right. I think like if he was just one of the people watching the golf match or if he was a caddy or... And he was portraying a part that had nothing to do with his size. I think it's fine. I think, in fact, you know, why not? But if it is meant to be of a comedic nature, then like, you know, I just think, yeah, we think twice now. I don't think we were thinking of that in 96. And again, this is an Adam Sandler film. And as we talked about earlier, sometimes his humor is a bit more edgy. But I I just I I thought that was that's one thing that, that that kind of stuck out to me. Both from a writing and a production standpoint, like I wasn't really sure why that character had to be an adult male of small height as opposed to a child dressed as a cowboy on a tricycle. I mean, I felt like it, they cast that actor to make to, for the punchline, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite get the gag and I wasn't sure mm-hmm. kind of how we would go about this from a filmmaking perspective. That's very kind and sensitive of you. Oh, well, thanks. So I know you are going to get super excited with this next. Oh, yeah. Already. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Under editing. So the last shot of the film. OK. OK. Yeah. It's kind of like a very Rube Goldberg situation. Oh, where the golf ball goes through the, the different things to get go in the hole. Yes. The scaffolding is right. like fallen. And so now. Right. He uh, Adam walked over to the and they had a mechanism that would make the shot. Sure. So that it was a hole in one. Of course. He walked over to the director and said, I'm going to get it in one. He took the shot and what we see on camera, they did ended up not having to use the mechanism to make it be a hole in one. Well, that's pretty impressive. One take. One take Sandler. That's impressive. That is so impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I think if there weren't more people on set that probably could vouch for this. I wouldn't believe it. Right. That's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good job, Sandler. A film set in the world of golf has a good opportunity for some fun costumes. What did what was your takeaway about the costumes? Well, I, I was gonna say I'm not sure I really cared for the look of the the work boots with sweatpants, but I think it worked with his character, right? Not particularly. I think Christopher McDonald and Kevin Nealon's outfits perfectly landed that kind of, I don't know, I guess you'd say douchey look of, of most golfers. Julie Bowen's wardrobe, I wasn't quite sure about. Uh, and part of that is because I don't follow golf well enough to understand the people or communications directors for the PGA. 
But I did notice that her contract did not have a no lingerie clause because Adam kept putting her in skimpy clothes left and right. He really got his money's worth out of that one. I'd be curious where this falls in her. Right. I feel like it's the first time I saw her. And so maybe that they're like, we need a pretty blonde gal. And she's like, okay, I'll do it. What do you call that? Like your lit, your credits, her, your career, your oeuvre. Yeah. I'd be curious where it falls in her list of credits. Yeah, because certainly that's the first time I saw her. The first thing I remember her. Mm-hmm. Right. And she was, I, I think, I mean, if not top build, she was, you know, the romantic interest. She was high up there. Was she in Two Guys, A Girl, in a Pizza Place? That was Trailer Howard, I think. But she was in a sitcom and not Ed. She was in a sitcom, I feel like, before Ed. Okay, so free high five to the listener who calls in and tells us. <laughs> What sitcom she was in. There you go. Okay. How about some head trauma? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is by far the most head trauma we've ever had in a film we've Ooh, talked about on the podcast. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, I mean, I could go through it all, but. Would you w- like me to w- just include it in the show notes for brevity? There are 10 lines of head trauma. Okay. It's constant. Okay. Let's just, well, you can give that to me and okay. we'll put it in the show notes, but there is one major scene with some head trauma that we have to discuss. Right. And that's Bob Barker. It's, it's, I think it's your favorite scene of the whole film. It sold me on the film. Yes. I when, have. When I talked to, to Brennan about this film, that was what he referenced. <laughs> that's our oldest son. I have a vivid memory of you just Belly laughing, yeah, laughing just my butt hard off. when you saw this movie. Yes. So credit to Mr. Barker because he may not be a boxer, but boy, he sold it. He had the, he moved like he knew what he was doing. And you can see the editing, how they edit around. There's a stuntman at one point, I'm sure, but there's some really good editing and cinematography there. That fight looks really real. And Bob Barker just beats the crap out of it. Adam Sandler, and that is pretty awesome. I still love that fight okay. scene. Okay, so in my research. Right. So Bob Barker's manager came to him with the idea that he would get in a fight with Adam Sandler. Right. And he said, who wins? <laughs> I love it. And his manager goes, well, you win, of course. And he goes, okay, I'll do the movie. So then day of, Dugan comes to him and says, hey, Bob, we've got a stuntman. Don't worry, you're not going to be hurt. And he goes, the only reason I did this movie is because I'm a boxer and I've got skills and I oh, want to fight. That makes sense because he, he, he moves <laughs> like he knows how to punch. And so he says he did all the stunts. Now, I was paying attention during this most recent viewing. And when they roll down the hill, yeah. there's a shot of a face that is not Bob Barker's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the rolling, that was the one thing I was pretty sure wasn't Bob. But the rest of it, I think he did. But I think the fisticuffs he did. I think and you're totally right. I'm telling right. you, that makes tons of sense. Because when he gets in his stance and he punches, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Totally. It's so great. I actually... We'll link this scene because it is just so funny. If you've not seen this movie, do yourself right. a favor and at least watch that at scene. At least watch one of the greatest fight scenes in cinematic history. And if you don't know who Bob Barker is, look him up. Oh my gosh. That's true. They might not know because they may only know Drew Carey. Yes. He was the longtime host of The Price is Right. Oh man. Which explains the the line that Adam delivers right. after oh. it. Okay. So let's skip ahead since we're not going to go into all the head trauma because yeah, there's, there's so a much. Lot. That's so fun. This is our most. That'll be a fun trivia someday down the road. Like, right. which episode had the most head trauma? 
Right. It, it's, it's, I mean, I, it's like, I, I'm not kidding folks. It's like 10 lines of text just yeah. over and over and we over. We won't bore you with that. All yeah. right. How about, I know there was a smooch. There what well, the smoochie that I have listed is at 5258, Virginia kisses happy at center ice when he takes her to the ice rink, which of course must be a call back to Rocky. Oh, how funny because I was thinking of what's the endless love. Ice Castles. Interesting. I think Rocky predated Ice Castles, but Rocky takes Adrian to the the hockey rink, Mm -hmm. which, as I say this out loud and I now remember in the movie, Rocky was a mob enforcer, so maybe it's not quite so romantic because that's why he got access to the ice rink is they're afraid he's going to beat the crap out of him. Well, and back to your comment about costuming, she was wearing a sheer short dress with a very thin cardigan, not ice Not ice appropriate. Yeah. 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 I'm going to say this now. It's going to save it for the end. I am looking at a stack of 50 of the cutest smoochy, smoochy, smoochy stickers. They're branded with our DMP. And if you guys, if anybody wants them, call, text me or send me an email. All that will be in the show notes and I will send it out to you free of charge. I just, I want to thank you guys for listening. And so I made these up. They're Pretty cute, and you can sport your love of the Dodge Movie Podcast. I'll just throw that in now. And I don't know how many of our listeners are avid skateboarders, but they look great on your deck. You could put that sticker on your deck there. You're right. You're right. You're totally right. Or water bottle or laptop for those non-skateboarder people. (laughs) Maybe those concerned with hydration or nerd stuff. (laughs) Um, Let's see. How about a driving review? (laughs) Okay, so... One of the things that I've noticed, because we've been watching recently a lot of films from the 80s and 90s, is the uh, Honda Accord that I drove in high school appears in a lot of background shots. And this one, this movie was was uh, no stranger to that. An 82 Honda Accord hatchback is parked across the street from Happy's apartment building. So it's always nice to see, right, those. Now, the star of the show automotively is Happy 74 Plymouth Duster. So in some shots, it does look to be more pink than orange. And so at first I thought maybe it could have been FM3 Moulin Rouge paint code. But then as I see it more, I think it was just a super faded EK2 vitamin C orange paint. And I bring this up because um, one of my college chums, and yes, this is a chum heavy podcast, had a Plymouth Duster of that era and he did paint it um, what we call pumpkin orange but uh, was EK2 vitamin C. It was a classic Mopar color of that era. Orange is one of my least favorite colors on cars, unfortunately, but uh, this fellow did uh, did it himself, did a creditable job. So it reminded me of my college chum when I saw Happy's Plymouth Duster. And then my last note is uh, the character who yells jackass at uh, Happy is paid to run him over and he uses his vehicle, which is a 76 Volkswagen Bug, also known as the Type 1. Perhaps the worst possible choice for that activity, for a couple of reasons. One, the Bug had like 40 horsepower or something. Two, it was very light, so there wasn't a lot of momentum. But more importantly, it was round on purpose. So Happy naturally would have just rolled up the hood and across the, the roof. Now what you want is vertical flat face so that all the force catches your your victim so that that was not a very good choice uh, of vehicle for assassinating so 
Kids, don't assassinate people, but if you do, probably pick a better card than one that's round. All right, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. Before I go to the numbers, I'm going to tell you that I found out that Happy Gilmore 2 has been baddied about. Oh, no. And the idea is that Happy and Shooter would go on the senior tour. That's awesome. Here's my money. Yeah, yeah. So keep your fingers crossed. I've heard rumor. I don't know if it's officially been greenlit, but but they're talking. Uh, get me Sandler's number. I got to talk to him about <laughs> okay. this one. This movie had a budget of $10 million. It made domestically about $38.6 million. Adjusted for inflation today, that would be like $80 million. So that's a pretty good. Um, it basically did a four times if you add in the worldwide because it made $41 million. So even if you double it for marketing, it, you know, it, it made. Is that why he keeps making movies? Prob- maybe Probably got a seven out of 10 on IMDb, which, you know, as we talk, there have been some good movies that we've talked about that get six out of 10. So you know, people like this. Um, critics didn't like it as much. They on Rotten Tomatoes, they gave it 61 percent. But the audiences loved it a little bit more at 85 percent. That tracks. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and a half just over. It's rated PG-13. It's it's tagged as a comedy sport and it is a Universal Pictures. And I will say that of the awards it won, Adam and Bob Barker won for the best fight at the MTV movie and tv awards that year totally earned it totally earned it all right everybody that is our first movie for april we are kicking off uh the month so be looking out for the other movies we're talking about like i said send me an email if you want to be on the email list so that you get that graphic that will give you a big 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 hint because this is going to be one of the toughest months to guess the theme we purposely made it a little bit tough we gave you Three softballs, and now we're kicking it up a bit. Three three uh, golf balls? That doesn't really track. Never mind. Yeah. Softballs <laughs> is fine. You can call or text those guesses to 971-245-4148. You can also send me a note. You can tell me what you think. You can tell me what film you think you sh- we should do. You can tell me that you don't like the sound effects, or you like the sound effects. I've heard both from uh, local fans, so... Please feel free to reach out. And we appreciate listeners from all over the country. Thank you so much. We're hearing from you and we really appreciate it. But above all, never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to DodgeMediaProductions.com. Subscribe, share, Leave a comment and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 